faith works. This is the message of James, that we in our own ability cannot stand in the face of adversity. We could never find the strength to trust without faith because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved, without faith, without works. We too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute, and it's faith that it's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. If you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to James. We're starting a brand new series uh, through the book of James. So all the pastors here and uh, Pastor Mark, Pastor Terry, uh, Pastor Victor will all be going through this book. I'll be doing somewhat of an intro into the book and covering a little bit of chapter one. I love this book. It's one of the very first books of the Bible that I read all the way through as a young man. Uh, Around 17, when I really started to become serious about my faith, One of the first things that I did after a camp experience when God did a real work in my life was to take heed of some advice I got from my spiritual leader at the time. He said, Zeke, get your face in God's word. Start reading it. Stop relying on a person to tell you what it says. Get into the word yourself. And I said, well, where do I start? He just said, I don't know. Start in James. Okay, <laughs> so I, he just wanted me to get my eyes on God's word. I, 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 took, I, got, I went to James, I, I was serious about this, and I, I made a commitment to myself, and, and I sat down and opened up to James. It took me about 20 minutes to read through it. It's not a very long book. But I got to tell you, those 20 minutes changed a lot of perspectives that I had about the Christian life. I learned more about being a Christian in that 20 minutes than all the Sundays I spent at church up until that point. There's something about you yourself getting into God's word and allowing God, God's spirit to reveal to you what he's intended through his word. It's one of the reasons that James is one of my favorite books. I have a very sweet memory with my time with the Lord in his word by going through James. Very easy to understand. It's, uh, it's, 
Its instructions are, when you find them, are very practical. Now, I was prompted to read through this by, my, by that youth leader. And uh, I remember he said, listen, Zeke, before you read it, though, you got to make yourself a, a commitment. I said, okay, well, what, what, what commitment? He said, before you read it, make this commitment. If I understand it, if I can understand it, I will live it. If I can understand it, I will live it. This book is very special to me because God let me understand quite a bit. In that small 20 minutes, I want us to make the same commitment before we start this study. Not just today, but for the next several weeks as we unpack this, this book. Would you make this commitment? If I can understand it, I will live it. Let's say this together as one unit together. If I can understand it, I will live it. I would encourage you to let that be a life anthem as you study God's word, and especially through this very practical book as we look at it together. I really think you're going to love this book as well. It's going to exhort you. It's going to encourage you. It'll challenge you. It'll convict you. It'll rebuke you and revive you. All in 20 minutes. It'll describe how to live a life of practical holiness and drive you toward the goal, the faith that works. And I'm not talking about works in the sense of, I'm going to try faith to see if this helps me out. Let me see if this works. That's not what I mean. Faith works in in the sense that faith, true faith, genuine, saving faith is active. It works. You see what I mean here a little bit. But it's very practical. These inspired words are, are here both extremely, extremely ethical and yet refreshingly practical. I think, the, I think that's going to be the reason why you really appreciate this study as well. So practically speaking, the book of James is kind of like a little how-to book for Christians or how-to book for, for believers, how to live out our faith. And the Bible says to work out your faith with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Work out your faith. It covers it, it, things like how we're supposed to act and react in the world. It covers things like how we're supposed to handle troubles, how to handle temptations, how, how to calm down a tense conversation. Wouldn't you want to be able to use God's word to calm a tense conversation? How to view wealth, how to view poverty, how to get a struggling brother back on track. These are some of the practical things. This isn't the whole an exhaustive list about what James is about, but just give you an idea of the practicality. These are all kind of these are all the kind of practical truths that we'll have a chance to look at as you go through the book. All pretty simple to understand and live by. So let's get to it. You guys have your book open to James, your Bible's open to James. Who is James to begin with? Who are we talking about exactly? Who wrote the book of James? Or Jacob. He's also known as Jacob. Jacob, James, he is the author of this book. It's not written about him, but it's written by him. But which James are we talking about here? It does say there in verse number one, the letter is from James. This is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, which James of the New Testament is this? There are at least four, 
given to us by name, by the name of James in the New Testament. Here they are, James the Less, or the Little, the son of Alphaeus, there in Mark 1540. There's James, the father of Judas, not Iscariot, uh, there in Luke 16.6. James, an apostle, uh, son of Zebedee, brother of John. Or James, the first of four half-brothers of Jesus. Through scholarship, it seems pretty clear that the author of James is is the half-brother of Jesus. So when I, when I was young and I even got wind that Jesus had brothers and sisters, I always thought that was odd when I was, young, when I was very young. You see, for seven years, I grew up in a church that still called Mary the Virgin Mary. And I said, like, Jesus had brothers? Ha, ha. He, not only did he have brothers, he had, he had four brothers and at least two sisters. And you know, in my little young mind, I was just thinking it just doesn't make the, the, the identity there just doesn't make sense after having a bunch of kids. Remember back then, they had a lot of kids. Having a bunch of kids was really important. Your kids were your employees. So you had big families back then. I, right now, I, we just uh, brought into our home a, our, um, a foreign exchange student all the way from Hong Kong. His name is Hayes. He's actually out there in the sound booth. Don't want to embarrass you, brother. Hayes' one request was that he would be put with a family that would let him go to church. I'm like, well, uh, God is good because you're basically going to be living at church. If you stay at our house. Uh, but having Hayes around is awesome. When I go buy groceries, I'm not the only one carrying stuff. Yeah. It, it, I usually take, take me all Saturday morning to cut the lawn. It probably took me about an hour and a half with Hayes. Having kids is important. Back then, it was extremely important. And Mary had more than just Jesus. These are the half-brothers of Jesus. James, or Jacob, Joseph, Simon, Jude, also known as Judas. James is the oldest of Jesus' little brothers. He was known as James the Just, or James the the Righteous One. James the Righteous. That's a pretty cool nickname. How would you like to be called or known as, as, as the Righteous, as the Just? Now, James didn't give himself this nickname. That's not how nicknames work. James didn't walk around introducing himself. Hi, I'm James the Righteous. Like, hello, I'm James the Just. No, this, this is an observation made about his life. You don't give yourself your own nickname. A nickname is given to you by what people observe in your life. When I was in uh, eighth grade, first time ever playing football in my life. I mean, I, I played some street ball football and backyard football, but never an organized sport. And my first day of the first game, game one, uh, I didn't pay attention about what I'm supposed to be doing. I just liked playing the game, but there was, there was plays to call in defense. I was an outside linebacker. I was tall and skinny. I had no business playing outside linebacker. But that was the position that they gave me. And the coach from the sideline says, he, get, he does this. I'm like, so I look around at my, my teammates. I'm like, maybe they know what that means. That was basically Chinese to me. I didn't understand. But so I look around, and I'm trying to recognize the pattern, you know, see if I recognize something from practice. And this is how I look. And I hear from the sideline, my coach yelling from the top of his lungs, 
infamous words that stuck with me for the rest of my football playing career. He said, Zeke, stop looking like a hoot out. Stop looking like a hoot out. He said it one time. And I heard I was hoot out until all the way through high school. I even had a play named after me. It was two punt hoot out. It was a fake punt to me. Never worked, but it's kind of cool that a play named after me. But you don't give yourself your own nickname. Okay, your nickname is, or what, what people call you as a nickname is based on the content of your life or based on what they observe in your life. What did they observe in James's life? That he was just. What did they observe in James's life? That he was righteous. What do people observe in your life? What is your nickname? Even by secular historians, he was referred to as James the Just, which is pretty significant. It's one thing for me to compliment you as my brother and sister. It's another thing for the world to recognize the holiness living within you. But in all humility, he introduces himself simply as James, a slave of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't carry his notoriety around like a badge or some point of pride. In fact, his only pride was being a servant to our Lord. What else do we know about James? One more thing, and we'll get to the chapter one. This one might be a little bit surprising to you. I'm going through this. Uh, the history of James once upon a time that I heard in, it was a, it was a, a small little uh, nugget that I received in an Easter message one time about the conversion of James. You see, James did not follow or believe in his brother Jesus. Not during Jesus' public ministry anyway. Actually, none of his brothers did. In fact, they scoffed at him and even wanted to get rid of him. This is what it says in John chapter 7, verse number 2. It says, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus, uh, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Doesn't sound very bad, but look at the next, the next verse. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now, there's something significantly happening in the place that he told, that his brothers told him to go. At this time, they were trying to persuade Jesus to go to Judea. It wasn't just to get rid of him for a little while. They knew that in Judea, they were trying to, get, they were trying to arrest Jesus. They would probably kill him. I don't know. Talk about a sibling rivalry. Even up to the point of the crucifixion, James didn't believe in Jesus. At least we have no indication of this. So what changed? If James didn't even believe in Jesus, the one that in which we have salvation, why should we trust the words of this unbelieving brother of Jesus? Well, he didn't stay that way, okay? He didn't stay an unbeliever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 6, this is Paul talking about the people Jesus appeared to in the flesh after he rose from the dead. Look what he says. After that, when he's going around and This is after the resurrection. He was seen by more than 500 of his followers, one at a time. Sorry, at one time. 
most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James. Later to all the disciples. Interesting, James came directly and personally. I mean, Jesus came directly and personally to James. You know, if James was one of Jesus' biggest skeptics, it makes perfect sense that it took a post-resurrection encounter with the risen Lord to shift who he was. Even in all the skepticism that he might have had beforehand. I mean, I get it. You're, if someone looked at your brother and said, look, the Messiah, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world, are you buying that? Yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's a great guy, but, I mean, Jesus? I mean, I get it. But that encounter, the post-resurrection encounter with Christ changed everything. Some of us might be in that place. You might, I don't know what, what brought you here to church, what brought you to listen online, but unless we have a post-resurrection encounter with our risen Lord, Reformation of self is impossible. Because from that moment on, James became one of the most radically transformed believers of his day. In fact, Paul called him a pillar of the church in Galatians 2.9. And when James speaks in Acts chapter 15, he is clearly already recognized as an authority of the church. And that authoritative tone is also seen throughout this letter that we're going to unpack in this series. We're going to see that authoritative tone as he exhorts, as he encourages and challenges and convicts and rebukes and drives his readers toward the goal of practical holiness and a faith that works. True faith works. It's a little bit play on, play on word. Uh, there's a little play on words there. Faith works. Yes, faith is effective, but as we'll see in this study, it is active. And I hope that that's something that we remember throughout the series. It's not the activity of faith that saves, though. We need to make sure we understand that. We know that from Paul's teaching that salvation comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. But just as Paul wrote about the inner saving faith from God's perspective, James writes about the outward demonstrations of that faith. Not only from God's perspective, but from our brother's perspective. Together, Paul and James give the full picture of saving faith. Yes, it's an inward thing that takes place, but it can be seen outwardly. The true measure of saving faith is verified by the tangible works of the believer. And that's a major point of this book, that biblical faith works. It's active. So let's look at the first work here in chapter 1, and let's see if you can see the work that is involved here. It's not work that saves, I would say work that verifies. And this was a tough one. After verse 1, James gets right to it. There's not a lot of fluff. That's one of the things I, I, I really liked about James. Uh, every word was very intentional and very practical and had, uh, had really, really clear instruction when I found it. 
Verse number two says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What? When trouble comes my way, consider an opportunity for great joy. What is he talking about there? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. There's some encouraging words to be found here, but there's also very hard works to be done as well. This first chapter is about choosing. This first chapter is about choosing to face trials with endurance and joy. Why? Because you have rich advantages that the world doesn't have. Specifically one, faith. James is calling his readers to have their faith purposefully refined when opportunities of trouble come their way. Let the opportunity of refinement have its place when trouble comes. Look, if you want to be stronger in your faith, you've got to take advantage advantage of opportunities where faith has a chance to operate. Your faith does not grow if it's not tested. But listen, trials should not be seen as tribulations, but as testings. And a test is given to see if the student can pass, not pass out. Think of it like this. Faith is like gold. Okay? When you hear the word faith throughout this series and how what is going to be described and what should be flowing from one who claims faith or has saving faith, liken that to gold. Gold is rare. It's precious. And it's extremely valuable. But how does gold become more valuable? You find a chunk of gold in the ground full of all kinds of other minerals around it. How do you make it more valuable? The fire. It must be refined. Me and my brothers, we used to take a summer break into Mexico, uh, deep into Mexico, Zacatecas. In Zacatecas, there used to be a bunch of, uh, Concepcion del Oro was where, uh, I don't speak Spanish, but I can say that really well. But <laughs> Concepcion del Oro, it means the conception of gold. There was a, it was a small, tiny little town that used to be just a, a, mo, a gold mining, mining uh, 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 town. Uh, all the gold had dried up, apparently. I don't know if gold dries up. Oh, you know what I mean. There's no more gold. But, uh, but there was gold. My brother and I found some. This big, giant boulder of, of quartz. And there was this vein of gold coming down. And, was, and there was, in that vein, there was this tiny, itty little nugget. Uh, and... We went out there with hammers, with chisels, with pencils. Pen- I mean, uh, anything we could find that was hard. We broke everything that we had trying to get this thing out. We never did. But we tried so hard to get that chunk out. And um, my oldest brother, he did find a few pieces, and he showed them to us. Uh, he found some real gold. But it didn't look like gold. It was just rocks. I'm like, There's, that's not gold. I'm thinking when he found gold, he's going to show me this gold nugget. Like, see, we're all rich now. No, it was just little gray rocks that had some specks in it. I'm like, no one's going to buy that. I was like, oh, you dummy. You don't even know how gold works. He's right. I did it. I wanted that gold nugget that was pure. And I couldn't get it out. 
But gold in what my brother had when refined, oh, that's where the value is. But it takes fire. It takes heat. And no matter how hot that heat gets, it doesn't disintegrate. It stands the test of fire and becomes refined on the other side. What happens to your faith when you encounter the fire of this life? When you encounter trials in this world, do you put your faith on hold? Because I'm going to come back to church later. I got I to handle this. I'm going to come back to my faith family later. I got I to worry about this right now. Do we discard the most valuable thing in our lives? When it has an opportunity to be refined? During the refinement of gold, the impurities are burned away. Follow me here. The impurities are burned away. And what is left is even more valuable than what it was before. Is that what happens to your faith when your faith gets tested? Or do you walk away? Do you push the pause button? Does the faith have less value when the fires of this life come and test it? Theologian Ron, Ronald Blue puts it this way. Trials rightly taken produce the sterling quality of endurance. It endures. It is now Malleable, malleable. It can bend under pressure in the sense that it doesn't break. Without the testing of trials, endurance does not have a chance to grow. Look at verse number three. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Be intentional, be purposeful in the maintaining of your faith when the trial comes. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete. Why? Because you're refined. The impurities have been burned away. And you need nothing more. You need nothing more than the faith that God gave you from the beginning. Let me ask you, any of you guys earn your faith? Any of you guys find it? Oh, here it is. All right. Now I'm going to heaven. How did you get your saving faith? You're saved by grace alone. By God's grace alone. It is his gift given to you. And he wants to refine that within each and every one of us. And you know what refines it? Trouble. The words, so let it grow, implies that there is a a choice that needs to be made here. Not the choice of, of your circumstances. You don't control that. It's not all the time. But how you respond to them and how you see them is the choice. It's about attitude and perspective. Too often, we're trying and praying just to get through the trouble just to get over on the other side and not purposefully facing it with perseverance in mind, with refinement in mind. Too often, 
These troubles produce complaining and groaning, which does not contribute to to Christian maturity. Now, the choice that's made here is very telling of where your faith is, and the stakes are high. Listen, if your faith will either empower you to stand the test, to stand the fiery test and be refined, or your faith was fake from the beginning and will be burned up, leaving you with heavy regret regret and disappointment. Wait a minute, it doesn't sound like the faith of the Bible. Not during trials. Romans 5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know, this is Paul's words, that they help us develop endurance. And that endurance develops strength of character. I tell my students all the time, they come up to me and complain about something. I say, that's good. What, what do you mean that's good? It builds character. Oh, man, I, I got hit in the face with a ball, Zeke. I, I need some ice. Oh, man. You, okay, let's go get some ice, but that's good. What do you mean that's good? It's like, ah, oh, it's good to get hit in the face. It builds character. Right now, uh, Thomas just came up to the sound booth. He told me something. I can't remember what he said. Oh, he said, I'm really tired. I was like, oh, man, that's good. He's like, because it builds character. I'm like, yeah. See? <laughs> you stop complaining after a while. That endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Here's what people do, though. Trouble comes, pff, no hope of my salvation anymore. Why does that happen? Why is that the, the usual? Why is that, what, why is that what's common? When trouble comes, you don't see him in the, you don't see him around anymore because they're handling it. Verse number five says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. What hope? Listen, true faith is where hope even comes from. Now, follow me. If faith is like gold, Consider what happens to fool's gold when it's under the same heat and pressure. My brother and I, one day, I don't know if it was our third or second summer out there. Every time we were out there, we were looking for gold. And we found this nugget. Oh, man, we thought our life was changed forever. It was about the size of my heart. It was humongous. I mean, I was like, this is it. We found it was a gold, shiny gold uh, chunk. And we're all, we're, we're, we're walking upstairs in my, uh, you know, in my dad's ha- apartment. And we're just all just holding this thing up. And we're fighting over it. And, and, and it, it slips out of our hand and it falls and it breaks. I'm like, ah, that's okay. We got more pieces here. You can have that half and I'll have this half. When my dad gets home, we show him, hey, look, we're rich. We found gold. He's like, no, that's fool's gold, boys. What? What's fool's gold? Well, that's not real. Yeah, it is. Look, it's gold. It's the same color as this Bible right here. You know, that's gold. Anyway, I learned a hard lesson that morning. Fool's gold, consider what happens to it under pressure. It breaks. Consider what happens to fool's gold in a refinement process. It burns up. There's nothing left. It's fake gold. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there's such a thing as fake faith? First John, we just did that study not too long ago. 
It was all about that. Let a man examine himself to see if he be in the faith. A man who walks away or discards his faith when life gets too hot shows the true quality of his faith and what it was from the beginning. I'm going to close with this. You might be thinking, well, it might be easy for James to say he's not dealing with the same problems that I'm dealing with today. Yeah, it's easy to say persevere if you're not going through something that needs perseverance. Well, understand this about James. James was martyred for his faith. Ultimately, at the end of his life, he was thrown off the temple, thrown off a temple, uh, the rooftop of a temple. It didn't kill him, though. As he was on the ground, he, he rose up to his knees and began praying for the ones who were persecuting him until they stoned him to death, stoned and beat him to death. His faith remained. I say that because sometimes the outcome doesn't look like what we were expecting. But does that mean the goodness of God has ceased in your life? No. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the goodness of our good and holy God never stops toward his children. 